Good morning. Yeah, I had to make sure. I have had people fall asleep on me when I'm preaching, so I just like to shout that out every once in a while. Uh, so we will be in Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8, what you probably heard Pastor Jordan describe as the best chapter in the Bible. It's pretty easy um, to say, uh, hey, we're going to be uh, going on a mission trip, uh, see what God leads you to, and it's like, <laughs> Best chapter in the Bible, you know what I mean? Like, say no more. Um, so we will be in Romans chapter 8, and we'll really be looking at um, verses 18 through the end, but we're going to hone in on 18 through 27. Um, so I'm going to read this before we dive in and, and go all out. There's been multiple books written just on this passage of Scripture, and like if, just trying to highlight a couple things. So if I appear a little bit lost today, just know that I'm just trying to do my best. Um, so, this is God's holy word. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits for eager, for the creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself might be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So if there's one thing that you can take from today... Um, it is hope, living with hope. And, and hope, you know, not only is hope um, active in the present, but hope is what sustains us for that future glory. So if I was to title today's sermon, um, which was really hard to do, um, it would be hope that is beyond the groaning. Because if you see in this passage, we've got multiple things groaning and multiple things going on. Um, so Hope in the life of the believer and the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to produce that hope. Um, here at The Journey, we, we practice what we call expository preaching. Expository preaching basically means we take the Bible, we open it up, and we explain the Scripture as we go. Um, it's a lot easier to be faithful to the Scripture that way uh, instead of taking an idea and going and finding it in Scripture and, and pulling that idea out. Um, it's very hard in that manner to, to be faithful to the scripture in that way. So what I'm going to do today is actually go back to where Paul started this, what we call an argument, not like arguing with each other, but just a case that you'd lay out in front of a court in Romans chapter 5. Um, and what he's doing is describing what the Holy Spirit does in us. Because um, we and the Holy Spirit are working together as believers. Um, you can't really distinguish, hey, you're, you're doing this, and the Holy Spirit's doing that. 
It's, it's everything that you, we do, we do in tandem together um, as a life of a believer. So I'm going to go back, actually, and read more scripture, so please don't fall asleep. Where he starts this argument is actually in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Pause. The glory of God, meaning that God himself, um, whenever we see glimpses of him, all we've really seen, uh, say you were to walk by your bedroom door at night and you see the outline of a closed door of light. Um, What's happening on the inside of that door, we don't see, but we see the outside. Through the Bible, what we can see is this outside glim, just appearance of there is glory. Like we, the hope of glory that we're looking for, and I'm trying to explain, is really hard. Um, but this glory, it, it's one that we will never fully see. It's one that we will never really fully even comprehend what this could be. Like when you look at Revelation 21 and you see that he dries up every single tear, like that makes no sense. You know, like I, I couldn't fathom what kind of hope that is. Um, the fact that, that when he comes and he makes every wrong right. Kind of produces a little bit of, of awe and reverence, if you would. This is, this is the hope of the glory of God that he's talking about. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, which is, you're talking, you're, you're beginning then to, to move into, okay, Paul, are you a lunatic? Did you, did you lose your bearings here? You're talking about rejoicing and suffering. Knowing, and then he explains it, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So there's one thing about, about this life that we live with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's why we come to church each week, because we, we don't drift towards being more holy. We don't drift being more towards like Jesus. Um, we, we drift being less like Jesus. Uh, so, so in that, in, in earlier, we'll go back to chapter 8 now. The, the main argument I want to lay out is that our hope that we have dicks dictates the life that we live and then how we live it. So now I'm going to go back to verse 18. And actually, I'm going to start in 17. I told you I'd be all over the place. And he says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. And this follows the life of Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? He died on a cross, crucified for something he did not do. The, the man who had no wrong ever done was nailed to a cross, claiming that he's the king of the Jews. So in now, we can know that as we live 
Christian lives, lives of, of hope, that committed Christian living will always rub the world the wrong way. There is no, like, way to put that. In some manner, in some means, committed Christian living is always going to rub the world the wrong way. And friction is completely inevitable. And as we, we see here, God designed it that way. Like That seems a bit like we've got this whole loving God and suffering. And these two are supposed to make sense together. So let's keep going. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when we think about the suffering, and I'm parsing all this out because um, back a long time ago, I had seen a, a young lady, she went through a really difficult time in her life, and the thing that she didn't understand was that she, she read Romans 8.28, and she said, well, the, it's, it says that God works all things together for our good which is an amazing promise and the hope that you should hold on to. But the way she interpreted it was, was that those bad things that happen to us are actually good, which isn't true. Those are bad things. But what they do to us and who they make us become is what is the good thing. Because, because a Christian in the life of this world that we're describing, well, they hold tight, I mean, as we go through, that it produces endurance. It, like, it, it has a, a means that it's supposed to be doing to you. You aren't supposed to just be living a life carefree. Like, it, there's something that should be happening in your life. Um, I've heard a, a pastor say, you know, people are either in suffering, they just came out of suffering, or they're getting ready to go into suffering. And the suffering can be all kinds of different things. Suffering can be a direct result of sin. There's suffering we endure for Christ's sake. Suffering that arises directly um, from a Christian profession, being fired at work, um, refusing to wear a rainbow shirt at work, in a world that rejects Christ. But beyond that, there's suffering that arises simply because we are in an imperfect world. Okay. I'm going to go home and probably my wife and I aren't going to communicate perfectly. Someone's going to get offended, which is probably me. And, and it's just, just the communication between two people. That's the simplest form. But the difficulties that happen in our lives, whether they're a result of any of the three I mentioned, they can be used to make you more like Jesus. The difficulties themselves are not good, but the results to a godly man or a godly woman can be good. It forces a change of mindset, which is, I hope, something that we might leave here with. A change of mindset. It, we, we need this gospel every week because we, it's like Martin Luther said. He said, if I will quit preaching the gospel to his church like when they act like they start believing it. Like week in and week out, just preaching the gospel. It's because of that, that bend that 
that we hear in that old hymn that we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And it's here that we, hmm, that we see, um, you know, what is Christianity and then what isn't Christianity real quick. Because it's in these difficulties that it's really important who's speaking into your life. Um, again, an example that I've heard would be uh, a young lady and a young man who were married and they were looking to get uh, pregnant for the first time and having really hard trouble. And uh, like many of us have gone through, um, and someone told them, they said, well, what sin is it in your life that you're dealing with? Which is wounding, you know? You talk about deconstruction, like that kind of faith, like no wonder people are walking away from the church if that's what we believe. They said, if, if you're struggling with a sin, then repent of it and God will give you a child. And that that actually just falls into this category that we just mentioned, where we're living in an imperfect world. Like, there's going to be disease. There's going to be sickness. It's not always a result of our sin. There's going to be tears. But what Paul's saying is that in due time, everything's going to be made plain. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul's saying that one day, the created world is actually going to be free from decay. And I would speculate, you know, maybe there's no more fall, which I'm sorry, you know, no more pumpkin spice lot. Well, maybe. Uh, maybe it's always spring. I've actually seen it. There's all kinds of different viewpoints on this, on, on the new heavens and the new earth, that maybe we just eat fruit and vegetables because we live, the lion lives with the lamb. I don't know. Either way, I have no idea. I just know it's going to be better, way better than what we got right now. The created world, actually, is a part of this, that it's groaning. Everything after the fall has been marred by sin. The fate of creation is actually bound up with us as humanity. As, and It's actually going to be that when we get a resurrected body, when Jesus comes back and makes a, a new heaven and a new earth, when Jesus comes back, the creation itself is going to be made new. And then as we go, continuing on to verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. When Adam sinned, the created world was subjected to futility. One thinks that the thorns and the, and the thistles that accompany the work of the land and the, the pain of childbirth, this, this kind of takes us back to Genesis 2 and 3. So when, when God created everything, work wasn't, how do you say it, so... It was laborsome, but the laborsome wasn't so difficult. There wasn't laziness. Like, that's, like if you parent a teen like that, that feels impossible, doesn't it? Like the, that the laborsome, you, you take more joy in it 
than you do now. Because the original creation didn't have thorns and thistles. And on the last day, creation will be set free from the effects of sin completely. It'll be far more beautiful, productive, and easy to live in than we could ever dare imagine. So I guess one of the things I'm trying to say is that is that this hope that we have of the future coming glory is what actually then produces a strong, sustaining hope in our lives today. That the, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And as, as John Calvin wrote, creation isn't, isn't undergoing death pains. Creation is undergoing birth pains. Because every mom knows in here what's the result of birth. Life. Like we, this difficulty and groaning that you have right now, the difficulty and groaning of whatever it may be um, that we go through week in and week out, this difficulty is doing something that will produce glory. Yeah. Creation then groans as the pains of childbirth that the pain a woman about to deliver a child experiences is a vivid metaphor of suffering that has a joyous outcome. He's, he's kind of describing the hope that, um, and this, would, this might date, date me on the last time that I uh, watched news on TV, but it was back when ISIS was on TV, which is probably like 10 or 12 years ago now, and ISIS had um, taken a Christian pastor hostage. And the, the hope that he had was that he told the captive, captors, he said, it, it, do what you, you want with me. Um, I know that you can't go beyond what God allows you to do. Um, so whatever you have for me, come up, May. And they let him go. <laughs> they said, we don't want to produce martyrs here. Like, get out. And he left and went back to his church. But it, it is that kind of hope, it is that kind of sustaining power that, that hope and the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. And not only the, I'll go back, and not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The first fruit res- refers to the Jewish custom of bringing the the first of the harvest to the temple and offering it to God, consecrating the whole harvest. And it carries with it the thought that there will be later fruits. That's the only point of the first. It's, it's that God has given us the deposit. When we have faith, we turn from our sin, we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to cover our sin. We now have a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is to then keep pointing us to the hope. Keep showing Jesus in our lives, making Jesus bigger day by day. Paul's saying here that the measure of the Holy Spirit that we now have is a foretaste of a greater measure that we will see in the age to come. 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit now is a foretaste of the many blessings that we will see. Every time you've been wronged, you're actually going to be paid back. You've made a mistake, it will be forgiven. Christians already have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, but they wait for the day of the final adoption, which means when we are raised from the dead with new bodies. And I can't help but think of uh, a wonderful brother um, who passed away, and, and he had said he cannot wait to see the lake of fire. Um, he was disabled, and he said he cannot wait to see the lake of fire because the first thing... <laughs> The first thing that he wants Jesus to do is, is to toss his wheelchair in. It's, it's that hope that we look for and we long for. And this may be understood in either of the senses. That we have the spirit we groan or because we have the spirit we groan. And that can mean because the spirit is highlighting ungodly things both in us and around us. Both are true, and there's no way that we can distinguish between both. Paul emphasizes that we Christians are caught up in the groaning that is characteristic of all creation. It's this groan that expresses something of our deep sorrow at the circumstances which we find ourselves. Um, it's this groan that is eager, produces eagerness and endurance. as we wait eagerly for our adoption, for Jesus to come back. Paul has spoken of believers as already having the Spirit. And then back into verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? got a metaphor and I, I can't remember exactly where I'm supposed to use it at because I didn't write it down. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to look through my notes here. Right, okay. It's when the Spirit and us work together. Um, so, I'll go back. So, th this paper here, um, I actually bought it a few years ago. So, I, I hate technology. Um, not, not a big fan. Um, so, one night I needed paper. I was out of paper in my printer and preaching, you know, at 8 o'clock in Crab Orchard or somewhere. And uh, I was like, man, I don't have any paper. Do I have to go to Walmart? It's like an hour away. Well, Dollar General. Had a sale going on with paper. <laughs> this, it was $3 on sale for a dollar for like 100 Well, if you've ever um, bought paper at Dollar General, you'd realize that it, it gets caught up in the printer like all the time. Like it, it can't work. But I still have it because it's, it's just good enough. Like it, it gets the job done, and I'm going to work my way through all of it. I'm going to... 
pinch every penny out of that last dollar. Um, but I think oftentimes we can, what we can see in the Spirit's work in our lives is that we say, well, God's given us like just enough. You know, the Spirit's there just enough to get us to heaven. Like the, the Spirit's here to help us, you know, when we need Him, to, you know, help us have a good time in, in praising Jesus. Um, but actually what He does is, is a lot more than that. Um, and when we, when we start, when we continually turn from our sin, when we continually look to Jesus as our Savior, um, we actually start to becoming more like Jesus. And as, as Paul describes in Corinthians, we turn in from one degree of glory to the next. And there, there's so much more um, that God has for us than what we see. And it's with that analogy I'll move on. Paul says, we were saved, not as, not as a pastor once put it, not saved, uh, we must be content to hope that we shall be saved. No, Paul says emphatically, you were saved. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? We look forward in hope to the full realization of what Jesus has done and what he will be doing. Paul goes on to bring out something of the meaning of hope to tell us that what is and what is not hope. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. The word hope may be used for the thing hoped for as well as for hope itself. And there is some of that meaning here. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's kind of like that, the door analogy. Though we, we do not see what is behind that door, we can see through the pages of Scripture that it is very good. And it produces both an eagerness and an endurance. As stated previously, that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God lo God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given us. Moving on then, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the Spirit knows two things. He knows us, all of us. He knows God, all of God. And it's kind of like, so if I'm getting ready to hop in my shower and take a shower, I can tell you exactly who has been in the shower before, whether that's by what toys are on the floor, how hot the water's been. Like, I know my people. I can tell you exactly which one's which. And just like how you know your people so much more does the Spirit know us and know what we need. Like oftentimes, I mean, there are people much older and wiser in this room than I am. How many times have you thought you knew what you need? We should notice that Paul does not say the Spirit removes our weakness. It's still there. And we live our whole life in conditions of weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. What the Spirit does is help. He gives us the aid we need to see through. So whenever you're in times where you do not know what to pray, if you leave here with nothing else, know this, that God knows. And if you've turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, he's on your side. Regardless of how that may seem, whether you're, you always get the, the last straw, whether nothing ever works out in your favor, God sees. God knows what you need. And I would also highlight that weakness is not sin, nor is weakness suffering. Though the sufferings of which you know, he's speaking about will be in mind. Paul's simply referring to the fact that we who are Christians are not the spiritual giants we would like to be. I mean, it's what, it's what Micah was talking about earlier. We, we admit our faults. We are just beggars who found bread and are trying to give people bread. Paul is simply referring to the fact that we who are Christians are weak. And left to ourselves, we will always be in trouble. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I don't want to get in the weeds here, so I won't. Um, it's not only that we, we do not pray very well, it's also that the case we often think we know what we need, and we're not always good judges of that either. So sometimes, like, the, the best prayer is just, ugh. Thus, by Paul's example, he said in 2 Corinthians, he said, he asked God three times to take away a thorn in his flesh, only to be told that God's strength is made purpose and weakness. So let us not see our weakness as something we need to overcome at times. Let us see that it points us to God, and lastly, that God is on your side. Not because you can kill it, not because, like, you're being obedient at the moment, not because like you've crushed it in sharing the gospel with your friend. God is on your side because Jesus finished the work. God is on your side because when the Holy Spirit goes to plead your cause in front of the throne, he pleads Jesus. He has no plead. Derek's done his best this week. And while you may be like me, you might be dissatisfied with your praying, with your prayer attempts. Um, the fact is, is that your prayer attempts are not the things with, with power. The power then comes from, from the one that's interceding for you. And he hears you. So I guess maybe let me re rephrase that. Your prayer does have power, but it's because of him who hears and one who prays for them in accordance with the will of God himself. So as we close, um, Paul then, at the end of this, connects the fact that, hey, if God has started a work in you, he's going to finish it. He works everything together in your life that's going to eventually be for your benefit. And then he ends with this, um, I'm just going to read the last verses of chapter 8. 
it's almost like a, a banner that he ends with. It recalls a little bit of old scripture, but he says this. And I'll ask the, the worship team to come back up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we ask that you would uh, miraculously put, put hope in us um, through what we see in your holy word, um, that we would know um, to the core of our being that regardless of what happens because of us, to us, around us, that you are for us and you are not against us. And Lord, as your word says, produce hope in us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.